0: Good morning. My name's Stan Bachman, uh, the other half uh, of our former reader. Uh, I too was saved at a very young age, and I too have been attending Joy for about 30 years or so. Uh, As we prepare for the message this morning, I invite you to turn to Luke 19. Going to be reading verses 1 through 10, found on page 878 of the Bibles on the chairs there, Luke 19, 1. This is Jesus. He entered Jer- Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was, seek- he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was of small stature. Father in heaven we we thank you for your word this morning forever settled in heaven piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow Father your word does pierce us when we consider our sin before you a holy god Father if we are honest with ourselves we're a lot like the prodigal son, so-called. We may be very much like the Pharisees, who grumbled when he returned to the Father. Father, thank you for seeking and saving lost sinners such as we are. Father, I pray this morning that, uh, that you would strengthen Jason, particularly his voice, Lord as he shares your word with us. May he speak uh, with the conviction and power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that you you would mix your word with faith in our hearts, that it might be profitable to us this morning. Grow in us, Lord, faith and obedience to our wonderful Savior, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. What does it mean
1: uh, to be lost? There are varying degrees of lostness. There's the lostness of uh, a guy on a car ride who refuses to admit that he's lost and check directions. Any, anybody resonate with that in this room? Uh, I know where I'm going. I know where we are. Uh, uh, there is uh, forgetting where your car is parked in the mall parking lot. I'm going to move this because I can't see Larry, and I like seeing Larry. Uh, There is the lostness uh, of a child who gets lost in a store, being lost maybe in a deserted area, maybe on a car ride in a deserted area and having no idea where you are. Uh, There's the lostness of being on a forest hike, and losing your trail, having no idea where you are. The lostness of being lost at sea on a boat with no idea of where you're going, but knowing you're off course. And maybe with each one of those, possibly an in increasing measure, you get a knot in your stomach as you think about it. Or maybe you have a memory tied to some of those. I, I know I'm looking at one family that has a memory tied to one of those particular lost on a forest hike. But maybe you've lost your child in a store. And there's just the utter terror or, or a child feels when they are lost in a store. Being lost is a horrible feeling. But there is a worse kind of lostness than the ones I mentioned above. Uh, There is a lostness that doesn't even know it's lost. A lostness that much of the world walks around in from day to day, and they are not in danger. Uh, They're in danger not only of, of not finding their way home or their way back to the trail, but they are in danger of eternal damnation. There is a lostness that masquerades as having it all together, being self-sufficient, not having to answer to anyone or anything. King of my own castle, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Whoever dies with the most toys wins. We are in week one of a five-message series on the Advent as we prepare our hearts and minds for Christmas, the celebration of Jesus' arrival onto earth, God made flesh. And, and so with these five messages, we want to ask the question, why did Jesus come? And we want to find in Scripture, there's more than five, but, but we've, we've narrowed down to five statements in Scripture about why Jesus came the passage that Stan just read gives us today's theme. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Is that is that good news to you this morning? Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. It's news that each of us can rejoice in, I pray. And we're going to use the true story of a man named Zacchaeus to remind us that Jesus seeks and saves the lost. And my prayer for each of us this morning is that our hearts would be stirred by way of reminder. Reminder of what an amazing Savior he has been to us. How he sought us while we were not seeking him. How he loved us and gave his life for us. I pray that our hearts would be further stirred by the reminder that the Lord is still seeking and saving the lost. And we have the privilege of being a part of His work in this world. And we're going to focus on those three words with our message today. Seek, save, lost. Before we dig in there, just a little bit of background. The Lord's love for the lost is a huge theme in Scripture. And it's zeroed in, and in on in the Gospels. Jeff read from Ezekiel to start the service. The Lord's promise that even though the unfaithful shepherds of Israel would not shepherd their sheep well, that they they abused their sheep, they, they didn't help their sheep, they didn't seek after their sheep, the Lord's promise in Ezekiel was, I will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will bind up the broken. I will seek out the lost. I will bring them home. I will feed them. So we saw that in Ezekiel. Luke really brings out the Lord's love for the lost. Rita read uh, from Luke 15 early in the service, the parable of the lost son. Before that in Luke 15 are the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep. In Luke, Luke chapter 18, Jesus told the, paris, uh, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee stood in the temple and boasted before God of all that he was and all that he did and who he was not like. Thank you that I am not like this man. The tax collector couldn't even lift his head, but simply cried out, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. Who was justified before the Lord on that day? The tax collector. Our God loves seeking and saving the lost. Also in Luke 18, Jesus encounters the rich young ruler. This was a man immersed in his idolatry while also trying to live a life pleasing to God. Jesus pushes him right where it hurts the most. This this young man tells him, "I've, I've done all these things. I've kept all these commandments. And Jesus says, sell your possessions. Follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. He pushes on his idol, his love of money. And this man went away sad. Jesus said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, which begged the question that the disciples then asked. If it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, right, how easy is that? Not easy. Like, what word might you use to describe that? Impossible. So the disciples are like, okay, well then, who can be saved? And what does Jesus say to the disciples? What is impossible with man is possible with God. Who needs to hear that today? What is impossible with man is possible with God. We cannot save, but the Lord can. We do not seek, but the Lord does. The lost are found in him. Jesus came to earth. I mean, what we're celebrating in this Advent season is that Jesus came to earth. God made flesh. How much more does he need to say to you to say, I seek and save the lost? And so, this morning with the rest of our time, we will talk about those three words. Zacchaeus, very likely, would have been considered. I I, I don't want to be hyperbolic here, but I think I can say this. Zacchaeus would have been considered the worst guy in the crowd on that day. Commentators are divided on whether he was a Jew or a Gentile, but it makes a lot of sense to me from what I've studied that he was a Jewish man. It was a relatively common Jewish name. Uh, Maybe would have been specifically despised by this crowd because he might have made some of his living on the backs of his fellow Jews by extorting from them. Even Jesus' reference to him being a son of Abraham might have been specifically appealing to the Jewish crowds, hearts, and minds. Zacchaeus is listed as a chief tax collector. You know that's the only time in Scripture that that specific title is used? Chief tax collector. How about that? Jericho was an important city of commerce, and Zacchaeus was clearly of high rank. He was rich, it says here in the passage. He was a servant of the Romans, which would make him all the more despised. If you were to poll the crowd and ask on that day, who was the least deserving guy of the Lord's blessing, Zacchaeus might have been the winner. If we're honest with ourselves, it may be that we too have these people in our lives. People we deem unworthy of God's grace. Maybe it's people very near to us who have hurt us deeply, have done some damage to us, sinned against us, and we say, you know what, they've gone too far. receive any grace. They're not worthy of the grace of God. Maybe it's people we view at a distance. Maybe it's people we view on the news or we read about in the newspapers or we watch on political TV. Maybe we consider their transgressions to be beyond forgiveness. Whoever they are, they're people that we look and say, I'm better than that person. I am definitely better than them. I am more worthy of God's grace and mercy being given than they are. Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming through town. The crowd was large and Zacchaeus was. He was, he was small. Some of you were thinking of a song at this time. Right, there's a Zacchaeus was a wee little man. We'll sing that later. Let's sing that one later. Uh, you can sing that with your families this afternoon, okay? So Zacchaeus couldn't see. He climbs the sycamore tree to get a view of Jesus. Why? What was it that he wanted to see? It's speculative. It doesn't say directly in this passage. But I think it's very likely there's a guy who's drawing a big crowd... And I want to see who this guy is. So he climbs the tree. But the most important thing on this day was not that Zacchaeus saw Jesus. It's that Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus believes that he's seeking Jesus, but Jesus is actually seeking him. Zacchaeus wants to physically see him, which I think is really interesting. Do you know what the passage right before this in Luke is? It's a story of a blind beggar. And Jesus is coming, and this blind beggar is crying out. You know what he's crying out? Son of David, have mercy on me. So you have a physically blind man who recognizes who Jesus actually is. And cries out to him for physical healing from blindness. And in the next account, you have a man who can see just fine. As a matter of fact, he's climbing a tree so he can see Jesus. But he is totally spiritually blind to who Jesus is when this passage starts. But not when it ends. Zacchaeus wants to physically see Jesus. Jesus wants him to spiritually see Jesus. So what we have here is a, is a vivid picture of something that bears out in Scripture over and over. We're exhorted over and over to seek the Lord, right? Zacchaeus is seeking the Lord. Lots of times in Scripture there are calls to seek the Lord. A great study for you this week might be to look at all the places in Scripture where, the, where people are called to seek the Lord. The challenge is right and it is real. There are churches that design everything they do to meet the needs of seekers, quote-unquote. Sometimes this may come by attempts to, to win them over, make things more appealing to them. And many of their desires are good ones. I don't want to bash them. Uh, we do want to be sensitive to those who may be seeking the Lord. But despite All of these calls in the Scripture to seek the Lord, they're real calls. What else do we learn in Scripture about seeking the Lord? What do you think? Think the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. How many people actually seek the Lord? None. There can be lots of calls to seek the Lord. But the conclusion of Scripture is no one seeks the Lord. No one seeks Him. Even though they are called to, they don't do it. No one seeks the Lord appropriately. No one, in and of themselves, sets their own heart and mind to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. No one, by nature, seeks the Lord for who He is. People may want things from him, so they might pray to God because they want something, which by the way, it's okay to go to God because you want something, but that does not count as seeking the Lord if it's not met with a heart that has been changed by him. People want things from him. People may acknowledge he exists, but none of their own volition seek him properly. None give give him the honor that he is due. None seeks to live for his glory rightly. He is God, and he has every right to be worshipped and glorified on his terms. And none has done this. Brothers and sisters, think about your own testimonies of faith. When you share your testimony of faith with another person, do you say, I'll tell you what, I was really good, and then, you know, the Lord kind of helped me a little bit. And then that's how I got here. Is that your testimony? I was amazing. I was seeking so hard after the Lord that he couldn't resist welcoming me into his family. Or is our testimony of faith that He sought us? He sought you by putting you in places and around people who shared the gospel with you. Who shared the scriptures with you. They were His ambassadors. They were His way of reaching out to you and saying, wake up. And beyond that, we're going to talk about, he doesn't just seek. He does, he does more than that. But they were his way of seeking you. Zacchaeus went up into that tree to see Jesus. But Jesus was seeking him. And the Lord seeks us. He is a seeking God. Our Savior is a seeking Savior. From the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve do the thing they're not supposed to do. And who goes looking? The Lord, where are you? Throughout scripture, throughout church history, we see it over and over and over again that he is a God who goes and gets his people. The advent and the cross of the Lord Jesus stand as a testimony to that, don't they? He goes and gets his people the only hope for sinful humanity has been a God who seeks. And Jesus came to seek. But beyond that, when he seeks Zacchaeus, when he seeks us, what does he do when he finds us? What happened when the authoritative word of Jesus reached the ears of Zacchaeus? What happened when Jesus invited himself to stay at Zacchaeus' house. Do you know, by the way? Just give you a little another Bible nugget. Only time this happens in the Gospels. That Jesus invites himself to stay at somebody's house. If you don't believe me, go ahead. Look it up. Some of you have looks on your eyes like, no, nah, I'm pretty sure he did it elsewhere. Go ahead. Read all the Gospels this week. The only time, what happens when Jesus looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Everything changes. The word of Jesus pierces the heart of Zacchaeus. he's, He's taken by this word. Why must Jesus stay at his house Is it because Jesus needed something from Zacchaeus? No. It's because Jesus came to save this lost sheep. He must because it's exactly what Zacchaeus needs. It reminded me, how many of you have seen uh, the movie It's a Wonderful Life? Anyway, is this one going to hit a lot of the crowd? Okay. I've seen it like 140 times. So So when George Bailey is contemplating ending his life, what happens? What does the what does Clarence do? Clarence jumps in the water. Then what happens? George jumps in the water to save Clarence, right? They're drying off and getting heated up in the shack right near the, the river. And what does Clarence tell George? I jumped in to save you. And George, is like, eh, you jumped in first. Jesus had no need from Zacchaeus on this day. He could have gone to any house he wanted to, he could have gotten whatever he wanted. But he must he, he must go to Zacchaeus' house because he came to get Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is changed in an instant. He hurries down from the tree and he receives Jesus with joy. And as the disgusted crowd looks on and grumbles, much like what Rita read for us earlier, right? The older brother. The disgusted crowd looks on and grumbles. Zacchaeus does what the rich young ruler was unwilling and unable to do in that moment. He vows to give half of his goods to the poor. He vows to pay back four times anything he owes to anybody he defrauded, which is beyond what's even laid out in Scripture in places like Exodus 22 or Numbers 5. The penetrating word of Jesus had changed this man's heart. When Jesus says that salvation has come to this house today, does he mean like, oh, okay, this guy gave back his stuff. Now he's getting saved. Is that what happened? What happened first? Salvation or giving back the stuff? Yes. The penetrating word of Jesus had hit the heart of Zacchaeus. He saw Jesus for who he was by the word of Jesus. And Jesus declares, salvation has come to this man's house. Because Jesus is a savior. He came to seek and to save. Save from what? What did Jesus come to save from? What salvation has happened here? He was saved, Zacchaeus was, from the penalty that his life of sin so richly deserves. He was saved from the outcome that awaits those who reject the lordship of God for all of their earthly lives. He was saved from being excluded from the eternal kingdom of God, from eternal delight. You know, just thinking about our sister Carol, right? She knew salvation on this earth. But now, she's experiencing the fullness of salvation. It's a horrifying thought that when everything shakes out, we would be found to be enemies of the God who made us and everything. That we would slip from this life to the next and see his face And he would sentence us to the fate that we deserve. Eternal separation from him. Eternal punishment. Rebels against his rule must suffer the punishment that rebels earn. But not Zacchaeus. Not after this day. On this day, Jesus says, right? On this day. Well, he says today. All right, sorry. I'm just adding. On this day, Zacchaeus was declared to be a son of Abraham. Not just because of his Jewish ethnic background, if he is Jewish. Jesus told the Jewish leaders that their ethnicity did not make them sons of Abraham. John the Baptist told them that God could make sons of Abraham from the stones if he wanted to. (coughs) I I made it 30 minutes. Without a cough. (coughs) Sorry, Paul. Zacchaeus was declared a son of Abraham because he had faith. Galatians chapter 3, verse (coughs) 7. Almost made it. Galatians 3, 7, Paul says... Know then, (coughs) it's a tickle, I just have a tickle in my throat. Know then, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Faith that took God at his word. Faith that saw Jesus for who he was. Faith that understood that Jesus was the Messiah. Faith that. That transformed him in an instant. All of it was a gift. Zacchaeus climbed that tree. An enemy of God. <clears throat> and he came down. As a part of his family. Why? Because the Lord. Sought and saved him. Titus chapter 3. Great verses. Titus 3. 3 to 7. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through, <coughs> through Jesus Christ our Savior. <coughs> I really do feel okay. I just have a tickle of my throat. And this does happen to me every year when I get a cold. So that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He saved us. This is our story. This is the need of the world. Salvation that comes by faith alone through Christ alone. On this day, Zacchaeus was saved from the power and penalty of sin. Saved to freedom and hope of life eternal. Jesus came to seek and to save. Who? Who? Who did he come to seek and save? (laughs) So let's finish there. The lost. I started the message with this idea of lostness. How panicked we can become when we or those we love are lost. But the horror of the lostness we find in Scripture is that the lost have no idea of the spiritual peril they are in. Scripture uses images like Wandering in darkness. Ignorant. Foolish. Spiritual lostness means that you fail to acknowledge God's lordship. You fail to acknowledge that you were made for his glory. Rather than putting him at the center of all things, where he truly is and deserves to be, you place yourself there. Failing to recognize that a life lived with self as God is both unsatisfying and eternally destructive. You know what it's like to live for yourself. How many of you can testify to that? I know what it's like to live for myself. Bring about a lot of happiness in your life? Joy? Lasting pleasure? (laughs) This world calls this uh, empowerment. But the reality is that it's misery. The lost person, when confronted by the choice between idolatry and worship of God, chooses idolatry despite its folly. When Jesus pushed on the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler said, you know what? I'd love to follow you on my terms. But if it means giving up my God... I'm not doing it. That is lostness. Read in the prophets where God describes what idolatry is like. You know, the person who would chop down a tree, use half the wood to cook their food, and the other half make a god that they worship. It's folly. We would never do things like that. Without hope, blind, gone astray, it's pathetic, right? Who would live like that? Well, rejoice today. Because this is exactly who Jesus came to save. The likes of us. What is our story? We sung it. I once was lost, but now i am found. Was blind, but now I see. Jesus sought me and saved me. I was not seeking him. When I was his enemy, Christ died for me. Jesus showed his seeking and saving love by this. That while we were sinners, while we were lost, he died for us. He died bearing the penalty of our rebellion. He came to earth to die. This is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34 that we read at the beginning of the service. This is the extent that the Lord goes to to rescue his lost sheep. It's a tragedy in today's passage that so many in this crowd remained lost because they could not fathom a grace so extravagant that it would reach this scummy tax collector. That Jesus would go to, quote-unquote, be the guest of a man who is a sinner. That's why he came. To be the guest of sinners. Zacchaeus is each one of us who are trusting in Christ. Unworthy, hopeless, and loved. Sought. Saved. This is your story, brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And I'm going to wrap it up by saying this. He's still doing that today. Do you know, you know, Jesus looked up into that tree and he spoke a penetrating word and it changed Zacchaeus' heart. Do you know that you have the words of life to give to others? That there is a message that penetrates dead hearts in the same way that 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 word of Jesus did on that day? Jesus is still seeking and saving the lost, and he's doing it through the proclamation of the gospel. Right? It is the power of God, right, for salvation. That's what the gospel is. The power of God. Meaning, the means by which he converts people from lost to found. It's how he got you. The gospel of Jesus penetrates hard, dead, lost hearts and transforms them into worshipers. We are a gathering of the lost who are saved. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I think I'm still in the category of lost. I have put self in the center. I worship. Everything Everything I do is about me. I have good news. Jesus is still seeking and saving the lost. And he invites you to come and trust in him. Repent of your sin and trust in him. Trust in his saving work. Paying the penalty for your sin, your rebellion. He is still giving the hope of eternal life to undeserving sinners every single day. We are a gathering of the lost who are found. The lost who are saved. And we bear the message that saves all of him. None of us. Praise the Lord. He came to seek and to save the lost. Let's go to the Lord's table this morning and consider the lengths that he has gone to to seek and to save the lost. He